Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job and make a bigger difference even during the pandemic. If your charity has had to change its strategy during the pandemic and this has thrown up new challenges in terms of how you measure and report on the impact of that strategy, then I hope you're going to find this episode really helpful. Because today I'm excited to share a recent interview I conducted with someone I refer to as the Queen of Impact, Emma Inslee. Emma is a very experienced fundraiser who has dedicated a large part of her career to better understanding ways to solve the various challenges of measuring and evaluating the difference a charity's work is making. In this conversation, Emma shares six things that any charity can do at this stage in the pandemic to improve their ability to measure and report on the charity's work. Although some elements of impact measurement are not easy, she shows just how worthwhile they are, especially during a crisis. Not only does a charity need this information so that it can continually improve the way it achieves its mission, especially when the stakes are higher than ever for the people and environments we serve, but also because the charities that do this bit well are much more likely to receive further funding if they can show that current interventions are effective. I've long admired Emma's ability to create clarity in a topic that is important but often misunderstood by fundraisers and charity leaders, and I love that she works hard to distill the complexity into practical ideas that you can implement. I really hope that you find these six principles are helpful to you too. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by Bright Spot Mastery Programmes. So if you need to increase income in corporate partnerships or major donor and trust fundraising, these programmes will help. As well as the advanced strategies you learn on the training days, you receive one-to-one coaching to help you put those powerful techniques into practice. To find out more about the Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programmes, head over to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Emma Inslee, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Rob. How are you? Very well. So for the listener, here we are uh, having a conversation with Emma, who in, in my mind is, I position as the queen of impact. If you are a charity and you want to get measurement right, you want to get better at understanding impact, but also ways of being more proactive and strategic in how you also convey that to donors, then uh, I've long seen Emma as the person to talk to. Emma, you and I spoke quite a few months ago and you were kind enough to share some of the key principles that you practice yourself and you teach others. And I wanted this chat now because of what's gone crazy in the world and the implications of that on charity's strategy and therefore how they might measure impact. And I wondered if we could have a conversation now in which you could give us a few of your key principles for a charity or a fundraiser now looking at impact measurement what are some of those principles and um and why do they matter well i think um it's obvious that a lot of charities and social enterprises are doing things differently they've had to move um you know face-to-face services online so i think the first port of call is to look at your theory of change if you have one so your theory of change is 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 outlines the the links between the work that you deliver and the changes that you seek to achieve um and it 
it, it sort of shows the link between the two. And a lot of organisations um, are obviously delivering work in a different way. So you, you know, need to reflect that within your theory of change. But also, you know, given the, the current situation that we're finding ourselves in, a lot of organisations have, um, I found, have gone from a model of helping people to thrive um, to helping them survive. Um, and so it may be that the changes that you're seeking to achieve or the beneficiaries that you're working with has changed. Um, and so the first port of call is to just check in with your theory of change, if you have one, about whether um, you have outlined the, you know, the correct activities and outcomes that you are seeking to achieve. Yes, and in many cases, that might be really clearly known to the frontline you know, head of services who's thought long and hard about what those shifts need to be in the activity. So it's clear. It's just, in many cases, a, a, a question of getting that nice and clearly written down so that um, it can be referenced. Absolutely. And so, indeed, you can share it with funders. So it's one of the, I think, a good tool if you are completely changing the way that you're delivering services and who knows how long it's going to continue. Actually, if you can show your revised theory of change to funders, I think it adds a huge credibility to the work that you're delivering and, you know, gives you that ability to, 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 to shift the funding in the new way that you're delivering the services. Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, this is going to be different depending on what kind of a charitable cause you're involved in. And you work with clients in all kinds of sectors, I know. Um, just to help us get a, a, a solid picture of it, without mentioning the, mentioning the name of any given charity, would you just give us a, a kind of, for instance, of how that theory of, theory of change might have shifted from the original model to now this uh, more... Um, pandemic-related model in a, any given type of course? Sure. So um, one of uh, the clients that I work with is all about delivering social activities to people with learning disabilities. And, um, you know, they were doing bowling and karaoke and stuff like that um, to help them overcome isolation. Obviously, they can't be delivering those kind of activities now. Um, but how do you get people together to help overcome isolation if you can't do that face-to-face -face work? So they have shifted to an online model. Um, so they're doing um, workshops that help people to understand um, their money, for example, and to develop um, life skills such as cooking online. Um, and they're doing social activities such as, you know, pub quizzes um, online. Um, and in a way, it achieves similar outcomes, but actually the problems experienced by those people who already were lonely and isolated and can't go out um, anymore have been exacerbated now we're looking at you know protecting mental health for example so um, we're making sure that we've got good measures to understand um, the, the, the the changes in people's mental health as they are engaging with this program yeah that makes sense okay thank you and then so that, that, that first thing is reviewing that theory of change what would be your next uh, key idea um, well, a lot of organisations um, will have been using face-to-face -face methods to collect their um, information, their data about the difference that they're making. Um, and so you may need to switch that online. 
Um, and so, um, you know, I mean, a, a lot of online survey tools exist already. Um, if you're not using them, then now might be a good time to, to familiarize yourself with the various survey tools that exist. Um, but also, you know, focus groups and interviews to capture that gorgeous qualitative data, you know, the stories and the understanding how change has happened can be done as well. So actually, you know, if you're delivering work online, as I know a lot of people are in groups, mm -hmm. then tapping on, you know, an occasional question at the end of that session to help you to measure the difference that it's making, not just feedback about was it good, but yeah. actually how do you feel as a result of this session today um, is a really good way of doing that. So it's a double tip really. Number one, adapt to online. And number two, always try to capture the evidence of the changes that you are achieving through the, the activities you know, or bolted onto the activities that you're currently delivering. Yeah. And actually just hearing you say that, I have a sense that many of these things they're not such a there's not so hard uh it's really a mindset shift from the start that we're going we, you know the this is the theory and these are the outcomes we're aiming to achieve if you're really clear on that overall concept then it i think it could become relatively straightforward to tack on those particular small details those little tactics to any given service or intervention which but 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 crucially you need to have decided at the start otherwise it's really unlikely to happen at the last minute as you were designing the webinar absolutely and i think there's a lot of fear around monitoring and evaluation that oh my god it's another thing we have to do it's another big you know uh thing to have to think about and okay for sure it takes a bit of time thinking about it at the beginning but um the the the, the way that i suggest that clients you know to make sure that their impact measurement and monitoring evaluation is proportionate to their resources is always to, you know, just think about what they're already doing and how they can adapt that slightly just to make sure they're capturing that information about the change. Um, and so, you know, I know that organisations, um, and I'm a trustee myself, I've been there, you know, are feeling overwhelmed completely with everything that they have to do and perhaps monitoring and evaluation is right down on the bottom of their list. But who knows how long this is going to happen? You know, who knows? Um, you know, we could be one mutation away to being exactly where next year where we are now, you know, heaven forbid. And so if you actually begin to plan these things now, you can have some really good data that shows that what you're delivering right now is making a difference and that that model um, you know, do you need to continue that model of, you know, online working, for example, um, and should you continue it in the, into the long term? Um, and, you know, to try to secure the funding, you know, to enable that to happen on an ongoing basis, because soon there will be questions asked about whether the way that you're delivering work is the best way to be doing that. Yes. Uh, and so just realising at this point in time, it's really unlikely that we'll go back to, to delivering services exactly as we were four months ago. That's not whatever Boris might say about done by Christmas. Um, it, it seems unlikely. Uh, and secondly, the may, even if the world does re return to some relatively more normal and many of your original services can happen, it may, 
it may well be that there's certain things about the current more virtual blend of services that's better or more efficient that even in the new way or even in a return to the old you would want to keep some of this new exactly but again it's not enough to know that instinctively you need to be able to justify those choices know which bits are working and justify those choices and if you're not measuring now how would you do that absolutely absolutely it's moving beyond the you know we think this is good and um people saying it's good to actually understanding the difference that you're making and what it is about your work and the way that you're delivering it that makes that difference and then using that as you know the the, the future for your strategy um, and so that's the way the loop comes in it's really got to use that data to learn about how you should be delivering services going forward and to prove it to funders importantly yeah, and that's yeah. another way you can justify investing time and energy in it because the charity that kind of does well in this area i'm i'm certain they're going to be uh ahead of the game if they're then going back back to funders uh compared to an organization that believes it did some good stuff but can't doesn't have that evidence so then uh, what was the third idea you think is important for us to consider right now well, I suppose tapping onto what we've just discussed, actually, Rob, is making sure that you've got evidence of need. So, um, you know, a lot of fundraisers who have to complete those uh, questions within, you know, trust applications um, um, and, you know, persuading philanthropists and, and corporate funders of the importance of why this service is needed. Um, the need is likely to have changed um, probably have got sharper um, and it may be that you are needing to work with people you know to achieve more of those you know basic requirements such as you know food for example is a classic example of you know where the, the need might have shifted so make sure that you are capturing that data that enables you to plan to meet that need and actually again if you do that at the same time as you're capturing evidence of the difference that you're making so there's like a cycle going on there then that's when you can be planning the services that make the biggest difference and inspiring your funders to to fund those services to actually make you know focus the resources where they're most needed so we need to not only know the need because we can say at this point of time more and more families honestly they they're hungry it's harder for them to just get stuff in the cupboard we might know that as a frontline worker or someone running the service but when you say we need to to capture evidence of need what what kinds of evidence are you talking about or what kinds of tactics are you talking about uh, well, you might be capturing evidence such as what proportion of your uh, beneficiaries are hungry, um, uh, what proportion are relying on food banks for their food, for example. Um, you might be looking at what proportion of your beneficiaries are now feeling um, like they are concerned about their mental health, for example. Um, so it's capturing sort of data around that. And it doesn't always have to be numbers. It can be the qualitative stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, um, you know, Jane's family told us that um, it's been really difficult for Jane to learn because she's hungry, uh, because she's not getting free school meals at the moment, for example, you know? Um, so, you, you know, the qualitative stuff around that is still important as well. Um, 
so actually capturing the numbers and the, the, the stories, the qualitative stuff is really important for your um, suite of evidence, but also, um, you know, looking at external information. So, you know, there will be lots of research around about, um, you know, evidence of, you know, take wellbeing, for example, and, and food poverty, um, use those, draw on those um, sources as well, have those within your, like within your armour. Very good, that makes sense. And I'm guessing we're not necessarily Necessarily needing to expect that family that's accessing those important services at that point time to have to fill in a form there sometimes that might be appropriate but often it might be um, an extra thing for the frontline service worker to be aware of that they could ask a couple of questions according to what your system is yeah absolutely yeah you work with what you already do so if it's if this sort of information about uh, you know, if you, when you're capturing contact details and understanding about the, some of the challenges that are going on at home, um, sometimes that's captured in a way that's only, you know, for the support worker to deliver the support that the person needs, that the beneficiary needs. Well, actually, if you can pass some of that information on to fundraisers in a, you know, workable format, then that all, you know, provides that really good evidence of need, which is needed for funding applications. Yeah. Very good. And so it's just a kind of a, a, a mindset, really, within the whole organisation and being more holistic about it. So according to my reckoning, that was the first three crucial things to be aware of right now. What was the fourth one? Um, well, one of the things that I think um, I'd, I'd like to share is don't necessarily assume that people are too busy or too stressed to fill out those forms, actually, um, because... There's a lot of goodwill out there for charities and the essential services that they are providing. Um, and um, if you explain why that evidence is needed, it's not, don't assume that it is uh, wrong to ask people to fill out those forms, for example. Um, and it may be that people are more than willing to help you to help them and others um, and not in not, not in all cases um, and of course um, people need to make a case-by-case -case judgment um, as to the you know the situation that the the, the people of the family are in um, but don't have that blanket assumption that now is not the right time is what I would say because a lot of organizations are reporting that people have been only too willing to to help out if it helps them and it's about explaining why you need that information, why you're asking these awkward questions um, or sometimes seemingly awkward questions. Um, it's about explaining why that it, it you know, will help to fund the service and keep that money going on an ongoing basis or to get the new money needed to change the way that, the, you know, to improve the way the service is delivering or to do a new project, for example. Yes. So um, the key, first key thing is... Um, not many people like filling in a, a great long form that takes 25 minutes or if the system keeps crashing. But most of us, if there's some level of rapport, some level of kind of relationship has happened be because of, of what's going on um, between the charity and, and the person accessing that help. Um, your experience is most people are, are willing to do their part in sharing a bit of information that can only help more families get access to this kind of stuff and then secondly just for the, the the person in the charity to potentially just put in an extra sentence or two explaining why 
we might be keen to capture certain information that can make all the difference for someone to being really happy to, to share or potentially less so. Absolutely. Within any data capture form, explain to people why you need it and what you're going to do with it. Fantastic. I guess there is something else to do with the shift that's happened to do with work. If more people are working from home nowadays, and I guess the implications of, of data safety and so on, um, the other day you mentioned to me that, that that's um, something for us to just be aware of now. Absolutely. So, um, it, you know, if your uh, data, you know, if you've got personal data about beneficiaries or indeed donors um, that's accessible from um, a, a laptop, uh, you know, you need some data security measures to make sure that data can't be hacked, A, it can't be hacked, and B, that you can't lose it um personally so just you know I, I mean it's not for me to say what they should be but just you know have a chat make sure that somebody within your um organization has thought about whether you've got adequate data security measures and things like you know on my laptop if i if it's um idle for more than uh, like even 30 seconds i think it just you know it requires a password to reactivate it so if my kids happen to pick up my laptop because they never should but if they happen to pick it up they can't get into it to be able to access any of the data that I keep on it so it's just thinking about making sure you've got the right systems that you know you can't be hacked and that you're not going to lose or inadvertently share data in a way that you shouldn't be. Very good that makes sense and I guess we've got time for one last key idea that you've been advising your charity clients on recently what would that be yeah well certainly in my experience funders have been very understanding uh with charities and saying you know you can hold off on um, a lot of your monitoring evaluation reports um and 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 that's great but what i would say is um don't forget don't lose the opportunity to inspire uh, funders, supporters, prospects, etc., with the difference that you um, are making, that you know the stories as well as the data. And so, um, even if funders aren't banging on the door asking for that evidence, if you can try to find a way to communicate that in a way that evidences the difference that you're making, like what's the point? You know, why are you? specifically and you know there's lots of gorgeous data that you can use um, and, and, and communicate that in a visual and heartwarming way to communicate and inspire people with that difference that you're making and don't lose this opportunity to differentiate yourself as one of the great organizations that makes a difference yes so if we're working a so hard to do our do great work and respond right now when so many people are struggling that's a given. B, if we're following your six principles and others, we're working hard to get this evidence. Your point now is, after all that effort, you know, it might be just 2% more effort to actually put that into an easy to understand infographic or, you know, kind of get that story, you know, told nicely and easy to understand through Canva or something. It's that, that last bit to really make use of this amazing information you've gathered, because in your experience, that then can make all the difference to an organization's confidence that it's making a difference and a funder's confidence. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And it can even be something even as simple as, you know, dear ex-funder, I know you said you could, we could wait another three months until we send that monitoring and evaluation report, but I just had to write to tell you about the feedback I just had from this beneficiary who told me that da 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 da. And when they first came to us, they were in this situation. And now, um, because of the work we've been able to do during lockdown, you know, this is the difference that it's made in their lives. Thank you for your patience um, in, you know, waiting for that report. I just couldn't wait to tell you about the difference that we made to this one person. Even something as simple as an email that proactively tells your funder that you're working hard and delivering amazing services, um, I think is, is only a good thing. And when it comes round, you know, to then everybody sending in their their funding return at the same time yours will stand out and you'll get noticed by that funder yeah i really love that um it's it's kind of uh, moving away from impact is a thing we measure once and it's a great long report that not many people are actually going to read all of but i always do all of that work but it's realizing that actually life is more of a marathon than a sprint and and so is fundraising success and so is the measuring and sharing of impact so kind of if you're working so hard to get this stuff kind of breaking it down into smaller chunks that you drip 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 Absolutely. as part of your ongoing stewardship ongoing relationship ongoing just the decency to let someone know who helped get this great result let let them know a small version of it now rather than have to wait till October, um, as an approach to relationship building, I think that's brilliant. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. And it's about, I mean, always I say that your data should be used to inform and inspire as well as improve your services. But we're talking to, to fundraisers here. And, and if you're not using the inspire bit uh, by through that drip feeding and telling those stories, then you're missing a trick. And those trust funders, you know, it's not just your um, individual donors who need that sort of, you know, inspiration. It's the trust funders as well, even though, you know, they're sitting at their desks, maybe just reading reports all day in, day out. They, you know, I've heard it from uh, the, the funders mouth, as it were, they love a story as well as the data. Yeah. And potentially for us, the, the fundraiser to be uh, just a bit more varied and, and, a tiny bit more creative in sending those drip drip drips in different formats so yeah. it might be well it was all there in the report turning that into a simple infographic or taking a you know, a 30 second clip from a powerful case study that you were fortunate enough to receive by video and a link to that or is some other way of um you know, maybe, maybe taking a transcript of a key interview anonymizing it and sending that as a kind of a short sharp blog or something it's the this um approach to to not only sending more frequently but also in different formats uh that can make all the difference to this message reaching these funders that we are making an amazing difference absolutely in terms of uh what charities can do to get better at this uh, lots of it you know is very doable on their own because i know you've you've coached fundraisers for years to implement stuff on their own uh, and i also know that at the other extreme um a charity can bring you in-house and you do lots of the work with them and for them but i gather you've you've created a middle way whereby you you can 
at some level help them, but they end up doing a lot of the legwork and there's lots of good benefits to that. Do you want to tell us what that new approach is? Because I, th- I think quite a lot of our viewers are potentially going to see some value in that. Yeah, well, it's a new approach for me, actually. And so I'm, I'm piloting an impact measurement accelerator, whereby I help organisations to define, plan how to measure their impact, actually capture um, and analyse that data, and then produce it into that all of the gorgeous uh, outputs that we've just been talking about, an impact report, as well as all of the other lovely stuff that can be broken down to drip feed and inspire people um, as you, uh, you know, on an on, on ongoing and continual basis. And um, I'm really keen to, to, to work with a small group of people um, to together, to go through that journey together over say three months and yeah if you if you're interested if that sounds of interest to you then uh yeah just drop me a line emma at interleyconsulting.com or uh connect with me on linkedin and i'll be happy to tell you a bit more about it fantastic emma that sounds like a, a brilliant approach that's well worth trying for a certain kind of charity that where it absolutely needs to get better at this stuff um but it needs to ongoingly take take responsibility for keeping doing it Thank you for sharing those six key principles today. It's uh, really helped me. um, And I'm sure many charities listening and watching are going to be able to implement some very specific tactics you've mentioned. So thank you for sharing it. I look forward to catching up with you very soon. But for now, thank you very much, Emma. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Well, I hope you found Emma's six principles helpful. To sum these up, She said, firstly, this is a good time to review your theory of change. Secondly, if you need to, adapt the way you're collecting information. Thirdly, capture evidence of the need, which may well have changed recently. Fourthly, don't assume that people are too busy or too stressed to complete monitoring forms. Fifthly, if many of your staff are working from home, check your data security measures. Lastly, squeeze every ounce out of your impact data. Be proactive and creative in how you share your findings and do so more regularly than only on the big milestone deadlines. If you're a member of the Brightspot Club, I'm excited to let you know that we're about to publish a full learning bundle, including a live problem-solving session with Emma, to help you go deeper into these and other key elements of impact measurement. If you're not a member, you can find out more about this learning club and all the learning bundles, the weekly coaching calls, and how to join at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. If you enjoyed today's episode, do remember to subscribe to the podcast today. And if you're able to take a moment to go to iTunes to rate and leave a brief review, I'd be incredibly grateful as this helps other charities and fundraisers to get access to this free content that we're working hard to create. And if you want to get in touch or share this episode, Emma and I would love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Emma is at Emma Insley with a capital E and a capital I. And my Twitter name is at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for listening today and good luck with all your efforts, both to raise funds and to show your supporters what difference their generosity is making. Goodbye. Goodbye.